0: We are wrapping up our vision series for the year. We've been talking for a few weeks about how our vision for the year is called Assemble. We are learning what it looks like to partner with Jesus in 2023 to build the church that he wants to build here and through our lives. Uh, We're saying that Assemble is all about building. Together, what we cannot build on our own. You know that it, it is not enough for a pastor to stand up in front of the church, uh, in front of a group of people, and just preach a sermon once a week and say that we're building the church. Uh, it takes all of us working together to build the church that God has uh, has in mind when He thinks about life church and when He thinks about the global church. And so we've been talking uh, through Hebrews chapter ten verses 19 through 25 which is where our vision is rooted and today we are going to deal with the last of three invitations that the author of Hebrews gives us in this passage where he says let us do certain things and so let me read to you this key passage again for our vision for this series and remind us of the context of what we're talking about in Hebrews 10 starting in verse 19 it says therefore and the therefore there is basically saying in in light of everything you read so far, which is a build up to uh, it's the case for you being a part of the body of Christ being saved and, and having this relationship with Jesus and being a part of the church. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. That was the first let us. And then it goes on in verse 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. That is the second one. And the third one sounds like this. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Or another translation says, stir up love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. So the author of Hebrews here, we've said this several times, but the author of Hebrews here is laying the foundation for the how and the why we are building the church. The why of the church is always Jesus, and the how is us partnering with him to do his work to build the church in his image. So as we put our faith in Jesus, we get to do a lot of what we've talked about so far, Let us draw near to God. Let us hold on to the confession of our faith without wavering. And today we're going to wrap up this series. We're talking about this third let us invitation, let us consider. Specifically, let us consider one another. What I want to do with you today is talk to you about this invitation to consider in a three-part framework. So I see in this passage that we are invited to consider one another, to consider the gathering, and to consider the future. That's what we're going to talk about today, to consider one another, to consider the gathering, and to consider the future. Now, at the end of this message, just like last Sunday, I'm going to give you an opportunity to turn and talk with each other for a moment and to pray with each other. And the thing that I'm going to tell you at the end of the message is, why don't you turn and tell somebody near you at least one thing That you learned today in this message, and then I'm gonna invite you to pray. Today I'm gonna specifically invite you to pray for the global church and this local church. So I'm telling you that now at the front end, so you can be thinking about what you would share with your neighbor at the end of this message so that you can not look at your neighbor and go, I don't I don't know what to say. So you can think a little bit now about that. But let's let's dive in with this first point of consideration. This first invitation is to consider one another. Will you just say to your neighbor real quick, I'm considering you. I'm considering you today. Oh, isn't that so nice? How considerate of your neighbor to say that to you. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is when he is saying consider, the the actual Greek word that he uses here means to take note of or perceive or to consider carefully, to consider, discern or detect or make an account of, like to notice is what he's saying. So consider is an invitation to notice someone's needs and desires and circumstances, to put the attention and focus on, on another person. And, and then let's get even more specific. When he says consider one another, the phrase one another here actually narrows our focus to the context of fellow Christians. The one another is the people who call themselves followers of the way of Jesus. So, to consider one another, right off the bat, we would say to consider one another means that we notice the needs and desires and circumstances of fellow Christians. All right, let's go. That was easy, right? Easy sermon. Let's get out of here. We've got a little bit more uh, that we that we need to cover. In fact, uh, to consider means that, to notice the needs and desires. But Paul actually put it this way in his, lep- uh, his letter to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 3, he writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. And if that's not a word that we need to hear in this era of, of global and particularly American history, I don't know what is. Consider other people as being more important than yourself. Can't do that. I mean, that's that feels like if we did that alone, that would cause revival in the church, right? <clears throat> in verse 4, he goes on and says, Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Now, things like selfish ambition and conceit invade our, our giving and our consideration and our culture of the church when we do two things. I think we, we see selfish and ambition invading the church when we believe the lie that we are better than people that we serve and number two when we serve with an expectation or a standard to get some kind of specific return right we always tell people like don't just give to get and we also need to tell people don't give thinking that your giving makes you better than anyone else don't think too highly of your self So, we enter the kingdom, like you come into the kingdom, in fact, we said this last Sunday, we enter the kingdom on our knees in humility, thinking not too highly of ourselves, and understanding that we are in need of a Savior. And we partner with Jesus in the assembly project of the church by continuing to keep ourselves humble. Like, you don't come in low and then get proud. You come in low and stay low and humble. But this humility looks like then it takes action. It looks like us noticing and considering, and, and, and it goes beyond just a simple awareness, but it goes beyond, it, it goes beyond that to, to doing something about it. And it goes beyond just doing something about it to doing a certain kind of something about it. We're told in, the, in, in Hebrews here to do the sorts of things in your consideration that cause other people to do love and good works. Listen to it. It says, "Do consider one another to stir up in order to provoke or stir up love and good works. It's really interesting. So don't just notice that someone has a need. Meet the need. But I love the idea that it doesn't just say, consider one another so that you can be the source of love and good works. Stir up and provoke like I don't necessarily provoke myself, I used to provoke my brother, right? So I'm invited to provoke other people, you, fellow believers, one another, provoke each other, not to punches, which is how I used to stir up my brother, and the fruit of my provocation was that he would punch me, I was so good at provoking him we stir one another up so that you will do love and good works. Isn't that wild? Like my engagement with you in the context of community should cause you to do more things that look like Jesus. Consider one another. This means that you would actually actively spend time thinking about the people that you go to church with in ways that if you would engage with their life on purpose, their life would look more like Jesus, which is different than a lot. Of the ways that we're taught to come to church. I come to church so that I will feel like my life is closer to Jesus. And I'll come as often as I feel like I need it. It got real quiet when I said that. We're touching on consumerism today in the church. Welcome to Life Church. (laughs) Why are you here? Why are you here? Amen. Praise God. Get closer to Jesus. And then the author of Hebrews says, that's great. That's a great reason to be here. Also be here so that the person sitting next to you gets closer to Jesus. What if you looked at your church engagement with such sincerity of heart about the invitation to be here so that the person next to you gets closer to Jesus that you don't miss a Sunday because what if I, what if God wants to use me to be a blessing to someone else? What if I have an opportunity to stir up love and good works and me not being there makes the community less? Interesting. Interesting invitation. Now, uh, uh, we we could go on and on and on about that. I I think it's important that we balance this real quick. Because what it sounds like we're saying is you come to church you be used up as a commodity so that the people around you have their needs met and you don't get your needs met uh, and that's not at all what we're saying although that is a lot of culture for some of us like we have a we have a church culture that has been built around the idea that there's like 10% of the people that will do 90% the work and all of those people are just a commodity for the church so that the rest of the people of the church can come in and have their needs met or have themselves to be made to feel good. And we have done you a disservice by framing the church that way. The church is meant to be framed that 100% of the people do 100% of the work 100% of the time, which means that not only does God value you enough that your needs would be met, But he he values you so much that he actually thinks that you must be a gift in the community. Like, you're not just a loser who comes in and gets fed. You're a gift that comes in to be a blessing. Jesus didn't just die for you to receive your way to heaven. He came so that you would also be a blessing on your way. Your life matters matters. Your life matters so much that the church is designed to meet all of your needs and so that you can partner to meet the needs of others. It works both ways. And this is actually where we get into the second thing that we are invited to consider. Because you know that you can't actually consider the needs of one another if you don't know one another, if you never spend time with one another, if you aren't Together, like, it's hard to assemble a church that doesn't assemble. <laughs> right? Right? Like, if, if you've seen Avengers Endgame, and when Captain America, by the way, spoiler, like, it's too late now. This is going to ruin the movie for you. It's, too, it's been too long. But if, when Captain America says, Avengers assemble, and all the nerds like me just lost their ever-loving minds... If he said, Avengers, assemble, and like nobody shows up, right? Like how anticlimactic is that? You can't assemble the church that doesn't assemble. So it's really, really important that we move on to the next point of consideration, is that not only do we have to, uh, we have to make sure that we are considering one another, but we have to also consider the benefits of the gathering. This is the next thing, let's get verse 25. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. He goes on, we'll get into that in a moment. So as we consider one another in community, remember that the gathering is what makes it possible for you to be a blessing and to be blessed by the nature of the community, That's right? right? But there is also a warning here. Do not neglect to gather. Some people are in the habit of gathering, of not gathering. Now, this phrase is not aimed at non-Christians, by the way. Like, it would be really easy if we say, yeah, you know all those people who don't believe in Jesus, they're the ones neglecting the gathering. This is actually a little bit more painful and embarrassing. Is that it's actually talking about us. It's actually talking about people who are already inside the congregation text of faith inside Jesus. These are people who call themselves Christians but refuse to gather with Christians. See Again, neglecting to gather happens for two reasons. A belief that the church gathering is not essential. And second, belief that the church is full of hypocrites. Not much debate has gone into uh, whether or not the church is essential. In fact, even in the last couple of years, you might remember a few years ago, that word essential became very prevalent in culture. And there was a lot of debates about, is the church essential? And what does it mean for the church to be essential? What does it look like for us to be essential? And I just tell you, we lost the narrative and the plot very quickly on that. And, And by the way, the answer, is the church essential, has always been yes. We got messed up on the what does it look like for us to be essential, right? We, we thought it meant tell people what to put on their face and who to vote for. And what it actually means is you need the church so you can be blessed and be a blessing and meet Jesus and have eternal life that starts the moment you meet Jesus. We just lost the plot. It's all right. There's grace for that. Let's get back on track. Some people claim things like this. I can still be a Christian without going to church, you can you can also drive your car at night without your headlights on but don't be surprised if you end up in a wreck and no one knows where you are or how to help you in in a sermon about the importance of, of, of the church Pastor Tom Reagan said there is a difference between a necessity and an accessory if you want to go outside without a necklace you'll be fine go outside without pants and you're in trouble We got to know the difference between a necessity and an accessory. The church is necessity, right? <laughs> I, I, I heard that quote this week. I just couldn't help sharing that with you. I thought that was good. <laughs> See, we hold the conviction at Life Church that the in-person gathering of the local church on a regular basis is absolutely essential to Christian living. Absolutely essential. I'll pause here to say we have friends who continue to join online because circumstance does not allow them to be in the room for different reasons grace and peace to the people who are joining us online because circumstance doesn't allow you to be in the room but but look it's wild to me the people that i talk to who who watch online it's like they know that being in the room is as essential as it is it's almost like they know more than some people who've just given up on it and who could be here but don't think it's important it's wild to me how easy it is for us to think that gathering together with fellow believers is not essential. It is absolutely essential. Now, much much debate has also gone into whether or not the church is good. In a book that he wrote called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, Eugene Peterson, you might recognize that name because he was the guy who uh, compiled the, the paraphrasing of the scripture that we call the message. It's good. Uh, Eugene Peterson's written some other good books, and in the book Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, he writes, Jesus doesn't seem to be very discriminating. In the children, he lets into the kitchen to help with the cooking. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that the church has a problem, and that problem is the people? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Have you noticed the ways that that's been embarrassing and painful to the church have you noticed in recent years how it seems like there's a a, increasing narrative of leaders of the church having failures and 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 like getting popular status in the world and then having embarrassing moral failures character flaws that take them out of ministry have you noticed that now, just I would just like to propose to you that these sorts of things have been happening since the beginning of the church. It's just now we have Twitter. Like, now we just talk about it more. And when it happens, the whole world finds out. And the devil twists and uses the narrative to say, look, the church is bad. And the church is not bad. It's just full of humans like it's always been. Right? And there's a lot of people who would look and go, see, Jesus, I just don't know if I can trust your character because the people that you let lead this thing are wackos. And and, and if, you're, if you're being honest, you would go, yeah, I think I agree. It can be frustrating realizing this about the church, that it's led by humans, right? Full of broken people. And some of them are called to be pastors. See, the critique is the church, the the critique against the church that it is made up of broken people is 100% legitimate. Absolutely legitimate. In a book called The Holy Longing, the Catholic priest and professor Ronald Rollheiser wrote about the relationship that the church has with broken people. And he writes, the church is always God hung between two thieves. Thus, one should not be surprised or shocked at how badly the church has betrayed the gospel and how much it continues to do so today. It had never done very well. Conversely, however, nobody should deny the good the church has done either. It has carried grace, produced saints, morally challenged the planet, and made, however imperfectly, perfectly, a house for God to dwell in on this earth. To be connected with the church is to be associated with scoundrels, Warmongers, fakes, child molesters, murderers, adulterers, and hypocrites of every description. It also, at the same time, identifies you with the saints and the finest persons of heroic soul within every time, country, race, and gender. To be a member of the church is to carry the mantle of both the worst sin and the finest heroism of soul, because the church always looks exactly as it looked on the original crucifixion. God hung among thieves. So is the church flawed? Yes! Duh! Welcome to the conversation! Absolutely! This is why we need a Savior! Because you came! But do the flaws negate the value and existence of the church? in the world? No, of course not. Absolutely not. You cannot be fully alive in Christ without the community of the church. We hold this to be a value. Absolutely. You cannot be fully alive in isolation. In fact, in that same book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, Eugene Peterson goes on to write, I did not come to the conviction easily. Finally, there was no getting around it. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of culture, is the setting in which Christ is at play. I propose that a more interesting question is not simply to say, should we gather? But I propose we move beyond this question that should actually be relatively easy to answer. Is the church essential? Is it good? It's essential. Sometimes it's good. It's always good because of Jesus. So, but I think we should move beyond that to a more interesting question. Not should, but how do we gather? So I think that, I think that's actually part of where we need to hear this invitation. And to that end, let's take a look very quickly at the end of the book of uh, of Acts chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 in the book of Acts. That's a better way to say that. Uh, I can speak English. In Acts chapter 2, in verse uh, 42, it says, it says this. It talks about what happens right after Pentecost. Uh, let's find verse 42 here. It says, they, this is the people who are the, the part of the, the very first moments of the church, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, that relatively small group of people who followed Christ. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Go back up one verse. It wasn't just a small group of people already. It, it says, this will be on the screen, but it says 3,000 people were added to them. Listen again to what 3,000 people managed to be able to pull off. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Try to get three people to be committed to that. (laughs) So obviously the Holy Spirit is actively at work in the early days of the church. Miracles are happening. praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people every day every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved you know i am I'm growing weary of asking God to do a revival and him showing me what it looks like, that it is built in the context of community who gather on a daily basis in the temple and from house to house, learning from the apostles' teaching and breaking bread together. I'm growing weary of asking God to do a revival, him showing us what it looks like, and then wondering why we aren't seeing people added to the church every day. I propose to you that we cannot assemble the church unless we are gathering the church in all of the right ways. And I further propose to you, that this counts as a gathering of the church, but it does not count as the gathering of the church. It cannot. It is not complete. This is an important moment. The early church gathered together absolutely on a regular basis to hear sound doctrine, to be taught from Scripture, and that was vitally important. But they also met from house to house. In fact, the early church gathered in the temple to hear sound teaching, to experience miraculous power. They also gathered in each other's homes to share meals and share the joy of each other's company. And then the result was that people were added to the church every single day not just on Sunday. And by the way, if people are added to the church every single day, do you realize the implication of that? The implication is it's not just the pastor leading people to salvation. (gasps) What a load off. Like, saying that out loud makes me feel like I've lost 10 pounds. It's not just the pastor I re- remember when I was helping we lived in Arizona for a year and we helped a, a church plant out there uh, with with some mentors of ours and my pastor um, his name is Chad Budlong and we were serving at his church for a little while and he gave me a job he said Tim you' we were doing mobile church setup and teardown tear down in a, in a in an elementary school uh, gym uh, cafeteria and uh, and he said Tim your job coming into this this church planting team is to be the guy who takes over the setup and tear down of the church setup so you're going to shadow me because he was doing like 90 percent of the work he's like I want to work myself out of that job so he said my goal just so you know I'm going to tell you my goal right now my goal is that I train you how to do it and then I'll watch you how to do it and then you'll do it and then I'm just going to disappear I was like, you're just going to disappear. He's like, don't worry. I'm going to be around, but I've got other things that I've got to do. He said, my actual end goal is that I want to show up a couple of months after you take over, and I wanna, I'm just going to come and show up for setup and, and try to help. And I want you to have made the setup better so that the team looked at me and says, Pastor Chad, will you please stop touching things? Because you don't know how we do it anymore. Right? Now, I'm at the goal. I remember the day he showed up, and I was up on a, a scissor lift, and we were putting these things up in the, to, like, put a covering over the skylight. It was very dangerous work, but, you know, you suffer for Jesus sometimes. And so, so I'm up on this. I remember looking down from the, from the scissor lift that I was on, looking, and I saw Pastor Chad walk in like a little ant. And he walks over to where the stage was set up, and I saw one of our team members say, oh, hi, hi, pastor, hi pastor Chad, how you doing? And you could see that, like, there's a nervous interaction because this guy was about to tell Pastor Chad, the pastor of our church, please don't touch anything. <laughs> it was so great. It was awesome. Chad was there for 10 minutes. He walked around every single station, every single person at every single station, because he did this with multiple other different leaders, who said, like, I want you to do this station without, and don't let me know how to touch it by the time I come back. He walked to every single station, and then he walks out, and at the end of it, he just looks up at me, he's like, I've got nothing to do, I'm going home. It was so great. What a victory that he was able to come in, and, and that he didn't even have a job to do. So he just showed up the next morning and preached. And then he got to go out to lunch with some people. Now, why am I telling you this long-winded story about something that happened in Arizona? Because the beauty of that moment was that more people than just the guy who calls himself pastor in the church was doing the work of building the church. That was the kingdom. I learned something in that moment. That building the church isn't about just the guy who calls himself the pastor. It's about you. In fact, your work at times is more impactful. How great would it be if we walk into a church service one day and there's all these people that I know and I know most of you, I've had some encounters with most of you in this church and, and, and what? how great would it be though if, if we walk in and there's more people that are just like strangers to me and I go, what are all these new people doing? And you go, could you just like preach the word because we're out here pre- preaching the gospel all the time and bringing all these new people in. You're gonna get to know all these people because they're serving in the church and they're going out and playing new church. I know I'm way ahead of myself, like years down the road maybe, but what would it look like if we together each played our part in the work of ministry? What would it look like if when in the scriptures it talks about that you're given gifts so that you become a gift? So that you partner with Jesus to build the church. If we don't think anymore that the only people that are building the church are the ones who went to Bible college. Or if we don't think anymore. That the only time I'm engaging in the church is when I'm sitting listening to a sermon. What if engaging with the church happens tomorrow when you go to work? What if. What if. What if. Engaging with the church also looks like this picture that I want to show you. There was there was this thing that happened a couple of weeks ago where this lunch, this was a breakfast that turned into a lunch kind of then turned into a dinner, right? Right? <laughs> this thing just happened. Now, I'm showing you a picture. Some of you didn't know that this was happening. This was a beautiful moment. This, this is when I knew our church is healthy. I mean, I've known our church is healthy, but this was a good reminder. And, and by the way, I should just say, when I say, what if, what if you guys got to work? So many of you are already doing this. That's why this is safe and easy to talk about at Life Church. So many of you are already living like this and doing this. Let's keep going. Let's keep building. Keep inviting people to the team. Sharon and I were invited over to SP's house. Uh, uh, was this last weekend? Two Saturdays ago? Uh, recently. Espy uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, wave your hand today. is out dealing with family stuff um, today uh, as well, but we love SP And so Elizabeth, they, they tag-teamed together leading a discipleship group called Foursquare Path in the fall of last year. And this was a group of ladies that we put together. And the funny thing about this group of ladies is that some of the ladies that joined this group, that we put them in the group, some of them said, well, I'd really actually rather be in a group with my husband or with somebody like that I'm a friend with or whatever, we just said, nope, you're gonna be in this group. And they're all like, okay, whatever. And so they did the group. And then Foursquare Path was 10 weeks long. And at the end of 10 weeks, on the last week, they called me in and they said, can we have permission to keep on meeting in this group. And I said, oh, this is the group that didn't want to meet together, but now you want to keep on meeting together? And they said, yeah, we have just fallen in love with each other, can we keep on meeting? And I said, you didn't need to ask my permission for that, go ahead and do it. And they took me saying, you didn't need to ask permission for that so seriously that they planned a whole breakfast and they just invited us over. And they said, would you just come over for breakfast? Most of the group was able to be there. A couple of them weren't able to be there. And the good thing about them who weren't able to be there, they're going to do more of these. And the reason I love this, the reason I'm showing you this is because I had no idea it was happening until the day before it happened. It just happened. Nobody asked permission. Can we have breakfast at Espy's house? Uh, Think about what I just said. You didn't have to ask permission to have a breakfast. And yet, how many times do we actually think, can we do a ministry that is part of the the life and the rhythm of our local church? I don't know. We have to ask permission from the pastor. No, you don't. Invite a friend over for breakfast. That's the church. And you're the gift. Make some waffles. This is the kind of thing that it was taught about in Acts chapter 2, where it said they met from house to house daily and with gladness, hearts full of joy, just sharing the joy of the community. Like next Sunday, you have the perfect opportunity to have two church gatherings in one day. You come to church in the morning, and then go watch a football game. American football is boring, and the commercials are not as good as they used to be. But bring some friends over to your house and have church. The church happens around board games and cups of coffee, in parks and coffee shops, in your living room, and in this room. That's the church, and you're it, and you don't need permission to play. Everybody gets to be a part. Everybody gets to go and make a mess. And you know who's responsible for cleaning up the mess? Jesus! Not even me! Thank you, Lord. I I can't, I couldn't. Go and make a mess. And if you're afraid of accidental heresies, this, this is another reason. I applaud the way at which so many of us say, I take the word too seriously, I cannot share the the scriptures or my thoughts. I can't start a Bible study, Pastor. I haven't gone to Bible college or I haven't been a Christian for too long. First of all, there was Jesus met a woman while he was sitting on the side of a well. He radically changed her life. And the second he radically changed this woman's life, she went off and became an evangelist. And Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 hold on. You haven't gone into missions training yet. It says she ran into town and said, come and meet the man who told me everything that I've ever done. That is the church. That is ministry. Come and meet the person who changed my life. I was listening to a person who was talking about launching house churches, and they were saying, you know, we're really worried about about if you just start house churches all over the place and missional movements, and people just go and share the gospel in their living rooms, and coffee shops, at the park all the time. Isn't it problematic that somebody's going to like say something that doesn't agree with the Bible? And so they did this study. This one movement of house churches where they've had like hundreds and thousands of people connected around the world to one particular movement. And they, they sent out surveys and they said, how many times to all of the leaders, how many times have you had to deal with a heresy? And they got all of these different like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of responses back. Do you know that they only ever had one issue that they could ever name? There's was like, yeah, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people go out and start house churches. People are sharing the gospel and getting into the word all the time. And it turns out that there's a really good teacher who shows up at every single one of our house churches. And he just works it out. He just works it out. It just works it out. And I think that a lot of the reasons why we don't gather outside of this gathering is because we're afraid of letting God down. And I think that living in that fear actually lets him down. So let's play. If we are going to assemble the church, come to church, like come every single Sunday. Come every single Sunday. You cannot assemble a church that doesn't assemble. But you know there are six other days of the week where you are still the church. Go and assemble. Not right now. I have more to say. <laughs> so we consider one another. We consider the gathering. There is so much more that I want to say about that, but we're going to move on to this third point of consideration. We also are invited to consider the future. So he says, he says don't neglect the gathering like some people do. And he says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I think this is wildly important for us to to camp out on for just a few moments. Now, the day, when he says, you see the day approaching, all the more, gather all the more as you see the day approaching. You probably already know this, but just so we're all on the same page. The day is referring to the return of Jesus Christ. He is coming back for his church. You can read about that in in the book of Revelation in chapter 19, where it talks about the day of Revelation, and it describes it as a great wedding feast. Listen to this, it says, then I, This is John writing about something that he heard and saw. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like a sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder. So this is all these people who showed up to this wedding feast. And here's what they said. Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. This is a good praise party. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the land has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and purple, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Here, here's, here's the point. When Jesus returns, he is returning. When he returns, he's coming back for his bride, and he expects his bride to be ready. Yes? Matthew chapter 5, there's a story that I'll just reference to you, and then I'll read just a a couple of Pull out a couple of things for you out of here but jesus tells this parable uh, where in this parable he is encouraging us to be ready the parable is this he, he's, he's talking about the return he's saying get ready and i, I want to teach this parable so that you'll be ready at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins or 10 bridesmaids is probably a better translation who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom so they're getting ready to meet the groom five of them were foolish five were wise Foolish ones didn't bring enough oil for the amount of time they were going to be waiting. The wise ones did bring enough oil. And it's interesting, it says that they all fell asleep because they were waiting a long time. Because they were waiting a while and all fell asleep. Well, then all of a sudden, it says in the middle of the night, this is verse 6, there was a shout, here's the groom, come out to meet him. So they all got up and the ones who were wise, they had enough, they prepared their lamps and there was light in the lamps and the foolish ones, they didn't have enough oil, so their lamps had gone out and they said, give us some of your oil to the wise ones. They said, no, we don't have enough. Go and buy some. And so they left. The groom shows up and he invites whoever was there to come in. And this is a picture of Jesus. He will come and he will invite whoever is there, whoever has the light turned on in their heart, to come in. Yeah. It's interesting, a lot of times we say it's just about whoever has the light turned on. But I think it's wildly important that we don't skip over the reality that these five other bridesmaids were not invited in, not just because they didn't have the light turned on, but because they left the group. As we consider the future, we have to have a sense of urgency about us. We lean into the church community because leaving the church community is the that makes it so that when we come, there is no hope. Now, the story doesn't say this. Jesus doesn't teach this in Matthew chapter 25. So I confess to you that this is a a bit of conjecture on my part. I'm I'm inserting an opinion into this text. But I think I have good footing for this opinion. I think that if the story went differently, that all ten of these bridesmaids could have gotten in. I propose to you that it is possible that if the five bridesmaids who didn't have enough oil had stayed, if the wise bridesmaids said, No, go off into town and buy from the, the, the traders all the oil that you need. And so they ran off and they bought all the oil and then they came back and then every the doors were closed. And they got it, and it says at the end of the parable, it says they knocked on the door and the and the, and the groom said, I don't even know you. You can't come in. You missed your opportunity. I just wonder. What would it have been like if those five bridesmaids who didn't have enough oil, instead of running off to buy, would have said, you know what, I'm going to stand right here because I am not about to miss him coming. I may be embarrassed and not prepared. My life might be in shambles, and I might get a good, hard lecture because I should have been prepared, but I won't be absent. There's something about this that feels like Like God would say, I would rather you be here with nothing, here with your doubts, here with your questions, here with the places where you're a little bit angry at God because your life keeps working out the way that it does, and you're wrestling with the fact that I thought I was going to give my life to Jesus and all my problems were going to go away, and you're learning over time that that's not what it meant to become a Christian. You've got some feelings about that. I would rather you be here with all of your feelings and questions and doubts and emotions, but here, Jesus says than off trying to find a solution to something other than that. I wonder if they had stayed, if the narrative would have been, and the groom said, I wish you had been prepared, but my grace will cover you. Here's a new lamp. Come on in. I don't know. It's conjecture. Please don't go around telling people that that's the gospel truth, that that's the story that Jesus, like, I, say, my pastor shared an opinion in church. You can say that. <laughs> but it's an opinion but I think it's an opinion based on who I know Jesus to be. I think it's a lesson about being prepared, having the light turned on in your heart, as much as it is a lesson about don't leave the gathering. You cannot do this alone. And this means you cannot do this life alone. And I propose that this also teaches us you cannot get into eternal life alone. I I don't know that you get to say that Jesus is Lord of my entire life unless you've joined the bride. And it is important that we live with a sense of urgency to remind us of that. This is not the sort of thing that's like, yeah, we'll figure it out when the church gets their act together. Or when my wounds finally come around to healing. No, show up now. Be here now. And if you're thinking, but I'm here, why are you harping on me being here? I'm here right now. Well, I'm telling you this because we have empty seats and those empty seats represent the people you know who have neglected the gathering for all kinds of reasons that they think are good. And I'm not saying that those aren't valid reasons, but I am saying that it matters that you go after them. Because I don't know if he's coming back tomorrow or in 10 years or a hundred years and neither do you, Scripture says only the Father knows, but we should live with our future in mind and a sense of urgency in our hearts. Amen? I propose to you to abandon the bridal party is to abandon the return of Christ, and that should give us a sense of urgency. Amen? So the gathering of the church is vital for our health. It's vital for our Christian faith. It's vital to be a part of the the bride and the body of Christ. And the closer that we get to the return of Jesus, he says, the more important that becomes. You realize that 2,000 years ago, it was very, very important that we gather. Like the book was not written in 2020 like, oh, now it's important that the church gathers. It was written a long, long time ago, and a long, long time ago, this this was the framework. Gather, it's important now with a sense of urgency, with the future in mind. And all these years later, it's only more important now that we gather. How do we know? Because in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, And all the more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get, the more important it is that we gather. Amen? So Jesus, through this series and in this message, is inviting us to join his work in in assembling his church. Not my church, not your church. We could say our church, but ultimately it's his church. It's the church in his image. We are a local part of the global church designed in his image or meant to be designed in his image. And We can only actually do our part in responding to that invitation to, uh, to help Jesus assemble his church if we show up. In all the different ways that we gather here and around the world, church grew every single day not just on sunday so i wonder as we begin to wrap up how we would answer questions like, what am i doing to be a part of helping the church grow and please don't hear that with a finger what are you doing to help the church grow but hear it with arms open wide from jesus and an invitation saying you matter to this project called the church What are you doing? You get to dream, play, have fun. What are you doing? I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to see it. Go and and come back and go again and come back again and build the church. It's an invitation. As we think about this on on a personal level, we could ask ourselves questions like, what are the areas that we maybe have neglected the gathering and I can think of areas where it's been hard for me. I know that when I was coming out of all of, the pain, of what, what st- the pain that started in 2020 and went on for a couple of years, I know that there was a while for me where gathering was hard and painful, and I didn't know that I wanted to even do it at some points. And I get that. And if you're in one of those seasons, I understand that. Grace and peace to you as God heals your heart, but I propose he will not do it alone. So what are the places where you could say you, like I have in my own life, would have neglected the gathering or even show up but neglected the value of the gathering? Are you gathering only occasionally? You know, the national average now has dropped to the average American will attend church one or maybe two times a month. Another question to ask ourselves would be something like, are you only coming to get rather than considering? others so that you can be a gift are you only coming to receive which receiving is important your life and your story and your needs are important enough that we want you to have space here where you can come and see your needs met as people come to be a gift but you are also valuable enough that you have something to bring to the table so are you doing that Another question that we should ask ourselves is, are we only coming here, but keeping the rest of our lives to ourselves? Like, I'll show up on Sunday. Please don't ask me what I do for a living, what I'm doing tomorrow, whether or not I ever want to spend time with you outside the church. Just leave me alone. Can I ask you a follow-up question to that? This is just a hard question, but it's a good way to gauge whether or not you've engaged in community. Uh, by the way, if you've only been here like three times, you kind of get off the hook on this. But like, but here's a good way to know, am I engaging in the context of community outside of just sitting and listening to a person talk on Sundays? How many people do you know what they do for a living that are sitting in this room right now? I'm not asking you that to, to, to make you feel bad. I'm asking you that as an invitation. It's a great conversation starter. Hey, what do you do for a living? Like, what do you do to make money? And then ask them an even more important question. What do you like to do? What are your hobbies? What if what if it turns out you have the same yeah. career as somebody or the same hobby as somebody? Like, this is how we build community. So the question, do you just come here and say, please leave your hands off the rest of my life? Now, if that's true, that's probably not your fault that you think that. We've framed the American church to give you permission to, in fact, teach you that that's how we do church. So no condom. In that, it's probably not your fault that you feel that way. I told you it was okay to feel that way. Jesus says it's never actually been okay to feel that way. Sorry, Lord, we messed it up. So let's gauge those sorts of questions. Do we know about the lives of other people in this room? Do those people know about us? A fourth question I'd offer you today would be this Are you forgetting the eternal purpose of our gathering? We don't gather just for this moment, just for today. There is something bigger than us going on. We are barreling towards the return of Christ. And it feels like there is every reason to to say that it feels a little bit like the call has gone out to the bridesmaid. Hey, turn your lamps back on. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Are you coming to prepare for that? And then we would say this. There's two powerful ways that you can respond to something like this. You can pray for the church. You can take time to pray for the church local and the church global. There are people around the world who, by the way, don't have it as easy as we do to engage with the church, and they still manage to find ways to do it. And we can pray for them. We're told to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And then the second thing that you can do in response to engaging with the church and helping to assemble and to respond What God calls us to do is to actually connect with the people in your local church. We pray for the church, local and global. We connect with the people in our church. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I told you at the beginning of this message that I was going to invite you to turn around to somebody near you and say at least one thing that you learned from this sermon that you walk out of here with. Just one thing. I'm going to invite you to say that really quickly. And then I'm going to invite you to pray with the person or people that you're talking with for this local church. Pray for Life Church. Pray for the people of this church. Pray for the leaders of this church. Pray for the people who God is going to develop into being leaders of this church. Pray for the people that God is going to bring into this church to meet Jesus and become a part of the gift and resource. So like, pray for this local church. And then pray for the global church, the body of Christ around the world. So turn to a neighbor, one or two people around you. Go ahead and just share. Hey, here's one thing that I heard. And it could be, I don't like that guy. He was really challenging today. And, and here's, could, could, I'll give you permission to say that. But then tell them one thing that you learned and then pray with each other for the church, local and global. I'll call you back and we'll wrap it up with a word of prayer at the end in just a moment. I think most of you are at a place where, in just about one more moment, I'm going to wrap us up in prayer. Please don't let me interrupt you, though. Keep going. If you are still talking and praying in your group, please continue. I'm going to pray. When I say amen, we'll be officially done with our gathering. Please continue to stay right where you're at, talking and praying. I'm just going to pray through all of the beautiful commotion. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe in your holy church. We believe that we are a broken people called to gather in your name. As we gather, God, help us to consider one another. Use us to be a blessing. And use the blessings of others to play a role in healing our broken hearts. God, as we gather, keep our eyes on the future, knowing that you will return for your church. Help us as we gather to be ready be whole, to be active, and to help others to become the same as well. God, as we work with you to assemble your church in your image, may your name be honored and kept holy in our lives and in this church, in Jesus' name, amen.